0: welcome to another episode of TPA Tidbits, a Sentinel Pension Podcast. My name is Melissa Torito, and I'm the host for this podcast. And today we are going to be discussing all things related to IRS and Department of Labor audits on specifically 401k profit sharing plans. So one of the topics or things that I tell clients all the time is that retirement plans are governed by two governmental agencies, both the IRS and the Department of Labor. And it can get confusing if you're just doing simple Google searches for what is the rule for something. There's kind of like different rules depending on which agency you're talking about. So I'll just tell you, in my experience, the Department of Labor is a lot more concerned with employees having the opportunity to participate in the plan and making sure that deferrals and loan payments go into the plan timely i would personally say in my experience that is the number one thing a department of labor auditor is looking for the irs is a little bit more focused on the plan document in terms of following um, the provisions of the plan document, compensation is a really big one with the IRS because keep in mind, these plans are qualified plans, meaning that you're not paying taxes on most of these contributions until you take the money out. So that's the easiest way that I can sum those two up. The Department of Labor audits also have a tendency to go back four to five years when your plan is pulled for an audit, whereas the IRS is about one or two years. So I've found that the IRS audits are a little less cumbersome. Um, the Department of Labor audits are it's a lot of it's a lot of documentation that they're asking to pull. So, you know, I always tell clients that there's certain things that might be, you know, there's administrative expenses to pay for the plan. There's Even if you terminate your plan, there's some expenses associated with that. But I can tell you that the expenses associated with your retirement plan or paying somebody to make sure that you are in compliance is far less than any penalty that you would be assessed from the DOL or IRS. So with the SECURE Act back in 2019, one of the uh, changes was the late 5,500 filing penalties. The maximum used to be 15,000. Now the maximum is a hundred and fifty thousand. So a lot of money if you don't file your 5500 So, those penalties are pretty, you know, they're pretty extensive. I mean, that's a lot of money. Nobody really wants to get that notice. And so, you know, again, it's kind of one of those things just like filing your tax return. You want to do it right because doing it wrong is extremely costly. So, I'm going to go over some of the top findings in these audits that I do think plan sponsors need to be aware of. And keep in mind that your employees have every right to call the DOL if you are not following the rules. We actually had this happen recently where the 401k deposits were not going into the plan timely and the employee called the Department of Labor and then we got a call from the Department of Labor. So that's always a little freaky when that happens. Um, So first one is really not following the plan document, I would say is a really big, um, operational failure that is found in a lot of these audits. And let me just explain why. The plan document is 45, well, the new one's probably about 35 pages. So we'll say between 35 to 50 pages of all these details as to what you need to offer in your plan that goes outside of eligibility and compensation. All There's just all kinds of stuff in the uh, plan document or really, more appropriately, the adoption agreement. Pretty much every time I take over a new plan, meaning I go and I we become the service provider or the TPA on an existing plan, we find an error in the plan document. The plan sponsor thinks one way, but the document says something different. Um, One thing I do want to just mention is that practitioners like myself have a tendency to choose certain defaults in the plan document. For administration purposes. So one of the ones that we choose regardless is we typically always allow in-service distributions at age 59 and a half from all accounts that are 100% vested. I really don't see a reason why you wouldn't allow that in the document and so I don't really I might bring that up to a plan sponsor but that's something that we are going to put in our document. The other one is the one-year marriage rule which basically says that you need to be married for a year to be considered married for the retirement plan in case you got a divorce and then we had to segregate the assets. We've had something happen where somebody separated. They got married really quickly. And then the husband ended up dying in a motorcycle accident about six months later. And so trying to figure that out with the children and the ex-wife was was pretty challenging. So um, you really want to take a look at your plan document. It is not something I would do by myself. Honestly, I would reach out to your TPA. Some financial advisors are also pretty up to date on the plan documents. Um, I've mentioned that we are in a restatement period and that is a really good time to take a look at your plan document. The other piece of advice that I would say is that you can make your plan as easy or as difficult to administer as you want. So, let me give you an example. If you are, you know, we don't want to have to Contribute on bonuses or commissions or we want different eligibility requirements for different components of the plan. You can absolutely do that, but that adds an extra layer of administration on your part, not really on our part because we can do whatever, but it's really on your part. So you just have to be really, just really cognizant of that. I don't know if anybody's listening to this really knows me, but I'm pretty bossy and direct. So I have no problem letting a client know that yes, you can do this, but these are, these are some of the, uh, not consequences, but some of the additional administration that goes along with that. And then really the biggest one, and I cannot stress this enough, is not depositing. Your 401k withholdings timely. And so let me explain why this is such a big deal. And it really is a big deal to both the Department of Labor and IRS. Both of them are going to look at it if they come to audit your plan. The rule, if you Google it on the IRS website, basically says that 401k deferrals need to be deposited 15 days after the end of the month that they were withheld. I do believe that's the rule. Okay. That's don't that's not the right rule. Okay. That probably I feel like and it's not very clear on if that's talking about 401k plans or just retirement plans or simple plans. But here's the deal you run payroll, you withhold money from your participants' accounts, from your participants' paychecks or your employees' paychecks, and that money is sitting in your operating account. That money that's sitting in your operating account, if it is not remitted timely to the participants. 401k accounts, the IRS and Department of Labor look at that as an interest-free loan to the company. It is not a good idea to subsidize your business operations from any type of withholding. So, this is 401k Payroll taxes, though everything needs to be remitted. If you run payroll and your gross payroll is $100,000, you better be prepared if you have $20,000 in withholdings to take that $20,000 and disperse it to where it needs to go. So what the Department of Labor rule is, is that they need to be remitted as soon as reasonably, 401k deferrals need to be remitted as soon as reasonably possible. Gray area, right? There is a safe harbor standard of seven business days, but I have listened to a DOL auditor speak and he says that if he goes in and he sees that you consistently do it within one to two business days or the day of payroll, and then something happens with the company and you're starting to do it two weeks later, he's going to deem that your time period is one to two business days and anything that's over that is considered late. And when they're considered late, you have to calculate interest, and then there's of course penalties on that interest. It's very similar to um, late taxes. You know, there's the late taxes, there's interest and penalties. So it's a it's a big deal. Loan payments also need to be remitted timely too. I mean, my my rule of thumb for any plan sponsor is remit it as soon as possible. Have a good process, document your process and remit those contributions as soon as possible. Now, you know, there's exceptions to that rule. If there's one person in house, which I don't necessarily recommend that only one person knows how to do this in your company. But if there's one person in house that does it and they're on vacation or they're sick or something happened with COVID, you know, I mean, the Department of Labor and IRS, they can be reasonable. You just have to document. So, uh, I won't, I'll get off my high horse on that one. Um, the other one is not following eligibility requirements, or I'll, I'll say this, excluding people from the plan that should not be excluded from the plan. Biggest mistake. I would say the biggest mistake is that a lot of employers and plan sponsors are under the impression that part timers cannot participate in a 401k plan. That is incorrect. The longest that you can hold somebody out of the plan is if they do not work a thousand hours. Once somebody works a thousand hours, it doesn't matter what you classify them. That's lipstick on a pig if you call them a part-timer. The the plan document does not allow, and this is any plan document, does not allow um, to hold people out from participating from the plan if they've worked a thousand hours, regardless of what you're what you classify them within your organization. So when you exclude somebody improperly from the plan, the problem is that now you have a missed deferral opportunity. And when there's a missed deferral opportunity, you have to go back as the employer, and there's a mechanism for calculating this, but you would have to contribute a qualified non-elective contribution, QNEC. We love our acronyms. And then you adjust that for interest as well. So you really want to make sure that you understand who is eligible for the plan based upon your plan's eligibility requirements and what the plan document says. The other one, this isn't an actual finding that I'm looking at when I did some of this research, but truthfully, another, um something else is rehires. Rehires are complicated. <laughs> or challenging and it's too difficult it really depends on the situation but in a very general sense once somebody enters the plan they've met eligibility they've entered the plan regardless if they're participating or not they are going to be eligible upon their rehire date no matter what you think doesn't matter what you think they are eligible upon their rehire date so that's another one that kind of gets lost in there um so and I would say that the other uh, that the last Uh, The last little tidbit is the definition of compensation within the plan document is historically done wrong. Easiest thing to do is not exclude any sort of compensation from your definition of comp. So again, if you exclude bonuses or if you exclude fringe benefits, well, are those fringe benefits like auto allowance taxable or not taxable? If they're not taxable, it's a moot point. Because they're not on the employees W-2. If they are taxable, you better make sure you're not withholding from them if they're excluded from your plan document. And you have to provide all of that information at the end of the year. Excluding certain parts, certain components of compensation like bonuses and commissions does require an additional compliance test. And, you know, I just, we have, we do have some plan sponsors that do that and everything is fine. Um, you know, it's okay if basically you're, um, you know, HCEs are getting a bonus and they're not able to contribute on that. But if your NHCEs are getting a bonus and they're not able to contribute on that, that can definitely be viewed as discriminatory. So, all that being said, again, shameless plug the reason why you want a good TPA is to make sure that when you have a DOL or IRS audit, you are covered. They will probably find something minor. Um, but we also assist with that audit. I am a licensed CPA, so I can um, be a power of attorney and represent the client in front of those agencies. Um, And really, you just want to make sure that you're staying on top of some of the ins and outs, especially that your TPA is telling you to do. I will tell you that in all of the audits that we've had, I have no idea why the retirement plan got pulled for an audit. The the auditor or the agent never tells us why. I don't know if it's random. I've had 10 people plans um, pulled for an IRS audit. I've had 300 employee plans pulled for Department of Labor audit. And the way that you are notified that you have an audit is you get a letter, a nice little letter. By the way, they will never call you if you get a call from a Department of Labor quote unquote agent, they want to review your plan. No, they don't. That's scam. That's, that's spam. That's somebody trying to sell you something. The Department of Labor and IRS does not call. So they send you a letter basically and say your plan has been pulled or selected for some sort of audit for plan years. If it's Department of Labor, it's probably, I'd say 2016 to 2020. It was the IRS. They probably go back to 2018. And this is the date that we will be out there. And these are all of the items that you need to provide. Sheer panic ensues when I have a client pulled for an audit. But again, we're used to them. We've been through them. Luckily, we don't have a lot of them. I'm sure as I'm doing this podcast, I'm about to jinx myself. Sorry, clients. But we've all gotten through them, you know, again, with very minimal ramifications. We're always making sure that the fifty five hundreds to get filed. We're making sure when we reconcile the plans at the end of the year, we are looking up for timeliness of deposits and all that good stuff. So anyway, if you ever are pulled for an audit, um, I wouldn't panic too much. As long as you are operating the plan like it should be, you should be okay. But they will definitely crack down on certain things if you're not paying attention. So... That is it for today. If anybody would like to reach out to me, you can certainly go to our website. It's www.choosesentinel.com. All of my contact information is on there. Give us a follow on LinkedIn. We are posting these on LinkedIn. And I um, hope everybody has or is having a really great week.